Welcome to the 2020 Baby Podcast. I'm Pam Douglas and it's my pleasure to have with me today Dr. Sarah Buckley and Karen McClay to join with me in a conversation around giving birth. What can I do to be ready? So welcome, Sarah and Karen. Thank you. Thanks. Hi. Hi. And I thought I might ask Sarah, first of all, to introduce herself. If you could just tell us a little bit about you, Sarah. Sure. Uh, lovely to be here and welcome everybody, um, especially a warm welcome to anyone pregnant listening to this. Um, I'm a GP by training, a medical doctor. Um, I have four children all born at home, which has really got me interested, what got me interested in this this area. And I've written several books, Gentle Birth, Gentle Mothering. And also I'm a PhD candidate looking at oxytocin and childbirth. So I guess I come to this topic from a few different angles. Thanks, Sarah. And Karen, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, sure. So I am Karen McClay. I am owner and director of the Calm Birth Organization and Calm Birth is all about education around childbirth and early parenting. Um, my background is I'm a midwife, so I'm a practicing midwife and also a registered nurse. And I'm also a mother of three children as well and had very various um, birth journeys with them. So again, that's also brought me to this space, my journeys that I had with those, but also the fact that my father was such a passionate man around helping women to discover their, re, or rediscover their trust in themselves. And so I'm carrying on his passion with that and, and really um, wanting, wanting women to take back birth themselves. Lovely. Thank you. And it was your father who founded Calm Birth. Is that right, Karen? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I've been very lucky to have an amazing dad. So um, my father's Peter Jackson and he developed the Come With program in 2004 after lots of research and um, and learning around how, how to make birth um, much more approachable for, for women, much less, less fearful, really getting rid of that fear that we have around birth in our culture. So how could, how could they... How could we re-inspire them around around birth and re-empower them? And why was Peter? Why was this his life work? What was his background? Um, so, um, Dad was actually a midwife uh-huh. uh, for a long time, and he was also he was an old-fashioned three certificate nurse. So, back in the day when he did his training, he first did his general training, did his midwifery, and his mental health nursing. When he did midwifery. Back in 1976, I think it was. So he was one of the first male midwives in New South Wales. He, it was very much a medical process. He kind of felt that it was a real conveyor belt with birth. Um, and he himself felt quite tra- traumatized in that space. So he actually didn't stay with midwifery straight away. He ended up going into mental health and, and stayed with mental health for quite a number of years until he moved to Barrel in New South Wales, in the Southern Highlands here. And when he applied for a job there at the hospital, they saw that he had trained in midwifery and they were desperate for midwives. So they actually put him back into the birth suite, in that postnatal suite. And, of course, he hadn't done it for a number of years. So he he went to re-educate himself and to get up to date in his practice. And as a result of that, he discovered a whole different side of birth that he had not been originally taught. He was able to tap into amazing people like Michelle O'Dont and, and, and people like that who really, who really believed in birth and were, were observers of birth. And, um, and so he really then went on in his journey to understand that emotional component of birth. So by coming back into midwifery from being in the mental health area, he was able to very much see how how emotional birth could be and that in fact often it was the emotional state of women that dictated their experiences of birth um, as well as their physical outcome and that's when he felt that we really needed to be doing something in our culture to change the way that we were educating women in birth and the way that we were talking about birth as well so that that's how calm birth came ah thank you thank you very much thank you well um sarah i wanted to ask you to start with what 
you thought um, the most important thing or things a woman can do to prepare for giving birth might be. Can you address that? Big question. Yeah, good question. (laughs) Yeah, big question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is is model of care. You know, no matter how Mm. healthy and low risk you are, the chance of you having a good birth experience is very dependent on the carers that you choose or the model of care as we call it. So if you choose a private obstetrician in Australia, your chance of having all interventions is higher. If you choose a midwifery model of care, which is available in most parts around Australia, your chance is low. And if you choose a home birth, your chance is the lowest of all. So if you really want the the best um, chance of having a physiological, as we call it, normal natural birth, then then choosing midwifery care is really my first recommendation. And, And the second thing to say is, you know, I think pregnant women, you know, we're very, in pregnancy, we're very poor. It's, you know, we actually have, it's partly mm. from hormonal changes that happen. We have increased oxytocin levels. We're kind of a bit softer and a bit more vulnerable. And I think as a pregnant woman, you actually need to protect yourself to some extent from some of the, the kind of things that Karen was talking about, the 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 reputation that birth has got out there, the the bad stories that women will often tell you when you're pregnant. So how can you create a, a, a healthy culture of birth around yourself? And, you know, mm. it's possible to do these things online. You know, in some places there's groups that meet up. You know, maybe um, someone you know that had a good birth experience. You might want to go into YouTube or read good birth stories, you know, surround yourself with the positive things um, would be my main things. And, of course, the basics of, you know, good nutrition, looking after your body, having enough rest. You know, again, from my own research, I think that, you know, the oxytocin really um, helps women to be anchored in their parasympathetic, the calm and connection, rest and digest, relaxation and growth system. And that's really important for growing a baby and for having a baby. So the more relaxation, you know, whatever it is that relaxes you, you know, um, calm birth training is great, you know, meditation tapes, just walking, all the things that help you to sink down into your body and uh, and to relax are really valuable in um, preparing for giving birth. Thank you. Now, Sarah, I'm going to jump in here because we know each other really well. I'm immediately anxious when you say the word home birth and, and there's, you know, reasons for that happening inside my sympathetic nervous system. Can you address this? Um, you mentioned then that, um, in fact, in terms of outcomes, home birth you were saying may be the lowest risk of all. Presumably that's for carefully selected ladies. Could you address this? You, you, you know why I'm feeling really anxious about this. Can you can you address this? Yeah, well, there's a lot of misinformation out in the public about home birth. You know, if you look at the statistics, the you know the systematic reviews, the big studies that are being done, it really does. And, and as you say, we're talking about healthy, low-risk women here. You know, the chance of the the because that's the, vital, isn't inter- it? The healthy, yeah, low-risk women. Yeah, the chance of intervention is much lower. The chance of a good outcome is much higher, um, especially for the mother. I mean, for the baby, it's fairly equivalent. But for the mother, you know, you've got a for example, out there in Australia at the moment, the chance of having a cesarean on average is about one in three. And if you are a first-time mother, it's higher than that. Um, if you choose a home birth model of care in most studies, the chance of a cesarean, um, you know, being transferred to hospital for a cesarean is under 10%. So, you know, your, your, your chance of having major abdominal surgery on the way to having a baby is much lower and, and other um, things as well for women. So definitely much better outcomes for women and equivalent outcomes for babies for healthy, low-risk women. And we do have, you know, in many places around Australia, there's good home birth uh, models of care, home births available. You may have to pay for it yourself, which is kind of an anomaly in our system for various political reasons. Uh, and just as you said before too, you know, it's really choosing your model of care, choosing where you want to give birth, who you want to look after is is a very personal choice. And you have to feel confident. You have to feel safe in your body, you know, in your own physiology. You have to be able to get into that parasympathetic and out of your kind of stress system to give birth. So you really want to choose a place that you're comfortable with. And, you know, home birth's not for everybody, um, certainly. And, you know, another option, you know, to, to kind of um, get the most out of these things is a midwifery model of care in hospital, a birth centre, taking a doula, a supportive birth companion to hospital with you. And, and the other thing that I advise women, and I'll probably mention this later in relation to COVID, is staying home as long as possible um, to really get labour established before you go into hospital if that's what you're doing. 
Thank you. And, you know, I've heard some of our very well-respected obstetricians vehemently argue the way the data is being interpreted around home birth. Could you address that? Well, we uh, so <laughs> Here we yeah, are in the conversation that, that um, dials me up. But <laughs> my my yeah. sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, well, that's a really big question. Yeah, that's a really big question too. And, of course, there's a lot of vested interest in home birth because, well, for some reason, the, the interest in it is way bigger than the actual numbers of women giving birth at home. And, of course, you know, there's a kind of fundamental issue there. Is, is birth? intrinsically safe or is it intrinsically dangerous because we say it's intrinsically dangerous or if we're a part of a body that has that belief when we say every woman should go to hospital if we think it's intrinsically safe you know which sometimes things happen of course and there needs to be backup systems and transfer etc but if we think it's intrinsically safe then home birth makes sense um, so it depends you know and then of course that filters the, the way that you interpret the information and you know obstetricians you know they they are the ones that you know, deal with um, th- when things go wrong. So, of course, they're going to have a jaundice view as well and they probably don't appreciate that most of the time things go right because they don't see those health. It's not their job to care for healthy, low-risk women, you know, when things go right. So I think there's a lot, there's that kind of um, bias in looking at the data. But, you know, the best information, the systematic reviews really show excellent outcomes for mothers and babies who are healthy, low-risk, choosing birth at home. Thank you. Um, and so, Karen, um, what would you be reflecting upon as the most important things a woman can do to prepare for giving birth? Um, look, I, I agree with Sarah there. It's such a big a big question. And, and the reason why there's just so many things that are important to do and, and probably the the thing that I would say that umbrellas all of that is to get educated and to really... Have a look at um, your own personal views and your belief systems around birth, where they've come from. Um, do they fit with what experience you're wanting out of birth? And really doing your research into, as Sarah mentioned, model of care. That's your first big decision that women um, need to make is, is who's going to be their primary carer um, during during their pregnancy and, and during labour and birth and that's a really big decision because as Sarah said it, it, it can dictate outcomes for a lot of women um, but then there's, there's the decisions that have to be made along the way and it's, it's incredibly important that women understand that they're in the driving seat of this experience they're the ones that uh, are there that they need to be happy and understanding of, of every experience and de- oh, sorry every decision that they make because it will dictate their experience and not just their experience, but also their baby's experience as well. And we certainly know with the research that's coming out around positive birth and what constitutes a positive birth for women is not so much how they give birth, but rather how they felt giving birth and whether they felt that they were in control of the decision-making process. So um, it's, it's really important for them to ask questions and, and get educated so that they can make informed decisions um, throughout the pregnancy and, and during labour and birth as well. So my big thing is education. Fantastic. And so, Sarah, I wanted to ask you first and then, Karen, how COVID-19 in this, in this most um, unusual year has affected the landscape of birthing choices, I guess, in Australia. And indeed, um, I know, Sarah, you're also well-connected internationally. So perhaps just at both in Australia and overseas, what have you seen um, through 2020? Yes, well, it's been a very um, uneven <laughs> an even influence, you could mm. say. I mean, some places that hasn't, you know, where there haven't been big outbreaks of COVID, you know, um, there's been less impact but of course in some of the places particularly America and here in Australia and Victoria when we were having an outbreak of COVID there are consequences and um, one of the big consequences for women is you know it's kind of highlighted the, the idea that hospitals you know have sick people in them that's always true but you know the, the, the stakes are higher now so women have been less, less keen to go to hospital there's certainly been a lot more demand for home birth which has happened all over the world wherever that's available and, uh, you know, the hospitals generally have been wanting to have more community-based care. You know, the hospitals here in Queensland, some of them cleared out, you know, a lot of inpatients and put them into community care and put the resources in the community. Of course, birth is a, is a 
is a an area that really works really well in the community. So women have voted with their feet where it's available and cho- chosen to give birth at home. But the other thing that has made a difference, you know, is women coming into an area and and staff working in an area that has a higher risk of you know, having COVID-19 amongst the staff, amongst women coming in, amongst support people. So, of course, there has to be protective equipment, masks, gowns. You know, the staff have to protect themselves as well. Um, and, you know, the number of care of, of support people that women can take in has been limited. Um, some places, for, hopefully for short periods of time, I think it's been, they've said you can't bring anyone in, but generally that's been overturned. And it's been agreed that women do really need support in labour and birth. And it's quite mm-hmm. brutal to, to have a woman in there without any support people. But women sometimes have to choose, do I have my partner? Do I have my doula? Do I have my midwife? Um, so all of those difficult decisions as well. And I think also in terms of COVID, you know, it's been initially it was thought that um, pregnant women are, you know, no more susceptible or maybe even a little bit less susceptible compared to other viruses. And now there's a bit of concern about that, that it could impact um, the mother and the baby. So women who have COVID and pregnancy have kind of gone up in the in the risk categories as well. So that's been an impact from you know, the information that we've kind of gathered over the course of the year. Thank you. And Karen, do you have reflections around that? Yeah, look, um, it's, been, it's been a really interesting time and particularly observing it as in working in that area as well as a midwife and also through education because there's, there's two sides of it. There's the side of it where, you know, as Sarah mentioned, women, um, their support systems weren't able to be as supportive as they needed to be at a time when they did feel most vulnerable in that they were only able to take in one support person and in some places there was actually no support people at the time though that was was limited here in Australia thank goodness and I think most in most areas it's been have been at least been able to have their partner or one other significant other with them so and one of the things that we know about for women is is that um, circle around them is incredibly important in for birth they need to feel um, well supported and they need to feel safe in that place and so not having that support for some women has been very difficult um, on the other flip side of it too which has been really interesting to see and observe and, and to talk to others is that for some that was actually really good because they they felt a real connection with their partner and their the busyness of that early postnatal period wasn't there with sort of dealing with visitors they were able to settle in and create that room-like environment around themselves and their baby as well. So there was sort of like a, a little bit of a silver lining to that space um, as well. But again, women were, were also talking about the, the need for that, that support system around them as well. And if they were able to have that support system, they were able to feel quite safe in that place. But if that support wasn't there, others didn't feel quite vulnerable. So there's there's two sides. There was a real vulnerability that, that came with COVID, um, but for some there was also um, a silver lining to it as well in the sense that they were able to, to nest up and really connect in together as a family. So there were definitely um, those two sides to it. Thank you. So so I guess I'm thinking that there, there may be women in particular listening to this podcast who are pregnant and who are thinking well I know what you mean that you know human females have been giving birth for millennia and that we're participating in you know an ancient and foundational evolutionary process because this is what has continued the human race but I'm scared anyway you know what if I'm the one with whom things go really wrong you know like different to what I'd anticipated or actually really really wrong Um, what would you say to that woman either of you really (laughs) (laughs) Sarah did you want to go or do you want me to go no you you go for it you go yeah yeah okay um I think one of the first things to, to, that's really important is to acknowledge um, that that emotion, that fear, that anxiety. It's a really normal emotion for women, particularly first-time mums who have not gone through this experience before or, perhaps, or even second and third-time women who have had 
um, traumatic experiences before. There's always going to be an element of anxiety as they move towards that experience of giving birth. And again, um, it's one of those things where our brain is, is very much wired in such a way that we tend to over over learn the negative and underlearn the positive if that makes sense so we tend to in saying that too what we also do is we overhear the negative and underhear the positive around birth and there is a lot of negativity around birth and a lot of fear around birth on many different levels in our culture and so what I often say to women is is number one um, to trust yourself and, and know that this is, is something that your body knows how to do. And where our bodies are so eloquent and amazing in, in doing birth, they're also amazing at telling us when things are not going quite right as well. And, and for the for many, many women, when they do have to go to, to plan B or plan C, um, then for the, a lot of them, it, it's not a big drift into plan B or plan C. Um, so they've got everything that they need to to meet and rise to those challenges um, as well and that strength. We'll do anything to keep our babies safe. But again, it's about being informed and making sure that the decisions that are being made is where that change in direction is needing to go. So it's about... Um, putting things into perspective and really getting the knowledge to to ensure that those fears and anxieties that they might have are being able to be put into to to be made to look realistic as well like you know when someone says to to a woman you know you've got a high high chance of having a cesarean section because something might happen to your baby your baby's too big or or whatever that immediately get they get fearful around that but then when they actually have a look at the statistics and see what the rates are of cesarean section and and with with big babies and what needs to happen and the rates of tearing and all of that sort of stuff and shoulder dissociation all those things it actually puts it into perspective because they actually see that it's it's a small amount of the population that actually end up in those situations so it's gathering the knowledge to put those fears into perspective Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And thank you for the beautiful calm birth education that helps women to do that, Karen. It's so valuable. Mm. Uh, I mean, the other thing I'd say is, just, is going back to the model of care is having someone that you trust as your companion on the journey. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you'll have your partner, you know, but they're not, they're, they're not the expert in this area or they're not, the, they're not the, the person that can be that companion. In fact, if you have a companion, a midwife or a doula, uh, you know, they can support your partner as well. So I'd really recommend having a trusting relationship. And, you know, oxytocin, coming back to that, is also a hormone mm. of trust. You know, we need to be in a trusting relationship to 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 let that flow, you know, and that's foundational for labor and birth. I'll, I'll just share an anecdote, you know, when I was in my, my first um, labor and birth, it went a bit faster, it was a bit earlier and a bit faster than I expected, and I was really fortunate not just in having a home birth, but I had my own midwife and I actually had the same midwife with my first three children and I we had such a good relationship and we'd spent a lot of time in pregnancy talking about my fears, all the kinds of things that you're talking mm-hmm. about, Karen. You know, I had that opportunity to, to really, you know, share and and get her knowledge and also just, that, you know, she'd attended a lot of births. She embodied this trust, you know, as midwives can do for women. And as I was, she arrived, as I was starting to push my baby out and, and, and I was fearful and I looked into her eyes as she came in through the door and there was this transmission of trust. And I thought, oh my God, this is fine. I'll, I'll be okay. You know, I really mm. felt that embodied trust from a person that I'd built up this relationship with. So I really recommend to have, um, you know, a, tr- a person that you trust in in the birth room with you, and as you, you know, as you as you've mentioned, you know the the how women come out of birth is not so much about what happened, but how they were treated. Did they mm. were they able to to participate in the decision making? Were they were they empowered and acknowledged as the real expert in their bodies and their babies? Yeah, I agree, Sarah. The circle around women is so incredibly important. Um, so that's again coming down to choosing the right caregivers for them and really building that trust and rapport with them and that comes with the communication 
um, as well. And that's another reason why, too, I'm very passionate on educating partners in that space, too, because partners are not experts in birth, but they're experts in their own, in the birthing partner. They know mm. what keeps her safe. They know how to make her her feel safe in that environment and to really support her and, and give mm. that beautiful oxytocin as well. So yeah. it's, it's about really, it's, it's very much what you said, Sarah, really circling yourself with, with that support and, and, um, uh, and people that can really hold space for the woman in the, ha- in the way that she wants them and needs them to hold space for mm. her. Beautiful, yeah. Yes, thank you. And, and so let's say there was a, a gap between what I was imagining would be my birth experience and, and what actually happened. And afterwards, well, you know, it's just that sudden deep dive into here's the bubby and uh, we might talk in a minute about what we could do to get ready for the baby actually arriving. But but I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts about how a woman kind of processes an experience that's quite different to what she had imagined um, because the truth is over the years I have heard many women, I'm sure this is the same for you, talk about a sense of trauma, um, that the birth was mm. was um, actually a traumatic experience. Could you speak to that, both of you? Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a really big thing and, and it often um, it comes with... Again, looking at, at education and, and making sure that women are having that conversation around all different scenarios. I, I always talk to couples about, about the fact that birth is unpredictable. No one can tell a woman how a birth is going to go because it's so individual to that woman and that baby. Um, having worked in midwifery for quite some time now, I... I, I can honestly say I've never, ever, ever seen one birth the same as another. And even in women that I have supported through through a numerous um, experiences of birth with, with their children. Um, and so it's not something that anyone can ever say, birth is going to go exactly like this because it's always going to be an individual journey. So when preparing for birth, it really, the way a woman w- walks, out of birth it really comes down to her preparation going in and the communication and the safety that she felt within that experience and really and the time of birth in actual labor and birth is not the time to ask questions it's really about having those conversations well ahead of time of you know if if this happens in plan a this is what i'm wanting and this is how it I'd like it to unfold. If, if things happen to go to plan B and plan C, what do they look like? What would I expect? Why would they be offered to me? And having these conversations well ahead of time to, and ensuring that, that the woman and her partner are communicating with their caregivers what their wishes are and what what they're really wanting to get out of their experience of birth. And that's, I guess, another word, using that experience, focusing on the experience rather than actually the physical journey is also a really important thing in preparation for birth. Mm. Um, mm. I'd yeah. like to add a bit of, bit of physiology there um, because, you know, there's a way that mm. our bodies are designed to unfold and when mm. physiology, like normal natural birth, unfolds optimally with minimum of disturbance, you know, there is this huge rush of powerfully positive hormones, powerfully positive mm. feelings that are designed so that the mother comes out of birth feeling empowered, feeling ecstatic, as I call it, you know, and, and her pleasure and reward centers are maximally activated so that she meets her baby for the first time. And basically her baby is a source of reward and pleasure for her. And when birth doesn't go quite that way, there's actually not just you know, emotional um, consequences, but there's also physical, physiological, hormonal consequences, you know, what I call a hormonal gap. If a woman needs a cesarean, if she has an epidural, she's separated mm. from the baby, all of those things actually cause a, a gap between what her body's physiological expectations are and what actually happened. And, you know, just some uh, ideas for filling in that, that hormonal gap, as I call it, is the early and frequent skin-to-skin contact with your baby restores some of that oxytocin, restores that calm and connection for you and your baby. And also breastfeeding, I call it Mother Nature's backup system. So, you know, those things will help you to bond with your baby, to fill in some of those hormonal gaps. 
And, um, you know, it's kind of a part of Mother Nature's superb design, really, for millions of years. There's nowhere else for the baby to be except on the mother. So the more contact you can have with your baby, especially skin to skin, and the more breastfeeding, you know, with support if you need that, that will help to fill in those hormonal gaps and uh, the experience gaps as well. Mm, absolutely. And it's important to debrief as well and to understand that, you know, this was your experience and, and often early early debriefing and just talking about it um, can help couple can help a woman move past it um, a lot faster as well when she can sort of understand it and see what was going on in that space as well. Because sometimes that perception can be a little bit um, uh different to what at times actually went on in that space because those hormones, they've got those big hormones in and those big hormones will often um, change the perspective of what's actually going on in that space. So sometimes just talking about it and seeing what's going on, then thinking about, well, okay, if that happened, what actually worked well in that space as well? What, what did I discover about myself from a strength point of view as well? And that's one thing I will always talk about is, you know, every woman in birth will find her strength and some women have to look a little bit deeper um, to, to find that but, but it's always there and it's always shining and in fact I will even say that women who have more challenging births show even more courage and strength at times um, to get through that and that's something that they should be very proud of not, not be beating themselves up about because it didn't go the way that they had originally planned. Mm, beautiful, thank you. Mm. Mm. And you know through the lens of neuroprotective developmental care or the possums programs really having the help that that woman needs to get the breastfeeding on track to you know make sure that we're dialing that little one down we don't want to move into trajectories of of crying and screaming um a lot over those first weeks if if we can possibly help it you know supporting good wholesome sleep rhythms emerging as soon as possible this is the kind of stuff that we address in our when baby comes home antenatal session that's available actually in the pips portal on the possumsonline.com website so my colleague um, an ndc educator renee has put together that sort of couple of hours preparation for oh and here's the baby and if we can really support getting those lovely dial-down trajectories, the breastfeeding happening very early on, as, as, as you've both been saying, that in itself can, can help with the healing, can't it, mm. after a more challenging birth experience? Mm. It's beautiful, beautiful to have those opportunities because, of course, the other thing in our culture is a lot of women haven't really held a baby or been experienced mm. with babies you know, before they hold their own. So there's a gap just in that you know what what what's been throughout human culture kind of a handed down knowledge or an experience that you just get as part of your normal life but because we have smaller families and you know we're often separated from our extended families we don't often hold a baby until we have our own so that's such um valuable valuable resource pam thank you Mm. yeah Absolutely, I agree. And our culture is so left-brained. We're so analytical and we want to know exactly what our baby's doing when and what it should look like and how we're, what we're meant to do and how we're meant to respond to it. But what, what we really need to learn as a culture is that just like birth, um, parenting is a, a very right-brained activity. It's very intuitive. It's very instinctive. And the more they just be at peace with that and let their children teach them what to do and and learn to become the parent that their children need them to be, then then they're going to have a much easier time of it. They're going to learn their babies a lot faster and things are going to fall in place for them. So we need to, as a culture, get out of our left brain and come back into that place of trust and, and knowing that, and just trusting that we, we will know what to do and our children will teach us what to do as well. Mm, I love what you say, learn the baby. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to ask you too just how out of control I might expect to feel if I'm a pregnant woman listening to this podcast how out of control do you think I'm going to feel during the birth oh, well, birth is a um is a it's a it's a huge event you know like um that what I say is that the, the hormones of, of giving birth are almost the same as the hormones of making a baby so you know in the the most um 
a positive way, we can be out of control in, in lovemaking. You know, we can surrender ourselves to the process. And that's really what can happen in labor and birth as well. And, you know, it's like we're talking about it's like the right brain, it's like the parasympathetic nervous system where you, you know, the more you can let go of control, the easier it's going to be for you. But the most important thing there is that you are in a situation where you feel safe with people that you feel safe to do that with. And, um, you know, there's some great techniques, you know, meditation, hypnosis, that, that mm. can help you to go inside and do that in an internal way as well. But, you know, I think the ideal is to be in a situation where you can manifest that however it is. And and to know that this is what women have done across time, this is what all animals do to give birth as well, is really to follow their instincts. So, you know, having a situation where you're safe to follow your instincts and we don't know what that's going to look like, even if we've had babies before, but, um, but it will be beautiful as well and you'll get a baby in the end, yeah. Mm. And I think it's important to differentiate there too, Sarah. I'm sure you would agree. There's a difference between surrendering control and feeling like you've lost control as well. I think um, there's, there's, there's an enormous, and I, I believe that there's, there's a sense of control in surrendering, being able to surrender control in birth. And when we talk about surrendering control in, in calm birth, it's really about just letting, letting um, letting go of, of that conscious mind and, and handing it over to the body and trusting the body and working with the body and listening to the body and letting those amazing hormones that you talk about really surge and support them. Whereas I think for some women, that loss of control is, is, comes more out of, um, again, a lack of education, a lack of knowing of how to work with birth, which is in learning how to surrender into birth and allow birth to unfold as it needs to. So um, really a woman's um, sense of loss of control really would come down to, I believe, um, how prepared she was going into birth, what education she'd done, what preparation she'd done at a physical level, but very much an emotional level that loss of control is, is an emotional um, component of birth. Um, but then also, again, as we were talking before, really surrounding yourself with that sa safety net, that circle around them where they're going to feel safe. Because when a woman does feel safe, she's able to, to get into the zone that she needs to and surrender into that, that amazing space of birth and allow those hormones to just to drive what needs to be driven. Mm, I love that in the zone as well. There is this birthing zone and it's, you know, mm. it's like an, it is a, a, an amazing space to be and it is a ecstatic, you know, um, altered state of consciousness and that it doesn't yeah. mean there's not intensity and pain, but... You know, it's a, it's an incredible experience, a privilege really to have that experience in birth. Yeah, that's right. But there's there's got to be a confidence going into that or a trust, probably more a trust. I think particularly for first-time mums, I think confidence comes with experience. And so it's more of a trust that they're bringing into that space. And, and knowledge is a great, a great way to gain that trust and as well as communication and support from caregivers. And Sarah, Given that you're an expert on the neurophysiology, actually, of birth, could you just speak to um, the hormones of fear and the neurophysiology of birth? Yes. Well, you know, the thing to consider is that we are the product of 165 million years of mammalian evolution. And we're hardwired to give birth, actually, in, in the context of the wild. So, you know, the, the laboring female, and I mean every mammal, including women, our sense of safety is what is, is critical during labor and birth. So a laboring female often has this almost like sixth sense of is she safe or is she mm -hmm. not safe? And, um, and if she's not feeling safe, you know, obviously in the wild, that's, that's a, that's a, uh, that means if, you know, that she and her baby might not be safe giving birth because, of course, giving birth, it's not so easy to defend yourself against a predator or run away even. So there's this heightened sense of what's safe and what's not safe happens for every female in labor. And if we mm -hmm. don't feel safe, then we get a, we get our oxytocin levels go down, labor can slow down or stop. We can get a surge of adrenaline, you know, like when you get a fright, when you're in fear, and that can slow labor down and actually can pull blood away from the uterus and baby. And all of these things can um, interfere with the, the smooth progress, you could say, of labor. And, uh, you know, women will often have this experience. They're laboring really well at home. And then they go into hospital and it's an unfamiliar situation. And their primitive brain, which is assessing the sense of safety, you know, has a bit of a red alert 
alert and says, this is not a safe place. It's strange noises, strange smells, strange people that you don't mm -hmm. know. We're not really designed to give birth in those circumstances. So you know, the hormones of fear interfere with the hormones of birth. So it's hard to give birth in a situation where you're not feeling safe and trusting, as Karen puts it. So really mm -hmm. important, again, that they're all good reasons to have you know, a supportive person that you know, that knows you well, that you feel safe with in labor and birth. And, you know, Karen's probably got a whole lot of ideas about this too, but, you know, how can you make your birthing environment as safe to your primitive brain as possible? So, mm -hmm. you know, familiar smells, you know, blocking out, wearing an eye mask to block out the, the sight, you know, that might trigger this kind of um, fear reflex, you know, taking music in so you can block out the noises, you know, how can you protect your primitive brain, you could say, from that sensory stimulation that, that would trigger um, feelings of fear. So, you know, and it's kind of why birth tends to go so much more easily at home um, than it does in hospital. So, you know, one way around that that I recommend is to stay home as long as possible, you know, until birth becomes so established um, that it, it's not railroaded by going into hospital. So, you know, using your your intrinsic, your hard wiring around fear to really get the best birth experience. Mm, absolutely. Thank you. So, you know, you both know that I've been really interested in applied functional contextualism or acceptance and commitment therapy through the perinatal period as, as a set of strategies for managing really difficult thoughts and feelings. And I suppose I'm interested to put this to Karen because, because um, you'll be able to address this through the, the calm birth lens. But I'm imagining that, that um, we... You know, and I, I guess, goodness, I can cast back to my own experiences all those years ago, you know, that, that we can normalise some experience of fear anyway, as, as, as you've both been saying, but then know that we can just get that little bit of space between what our brain's telling us and what we're feeling in our body using all these kinds of strategies that both of you actually have, have been proposing and understand that we don't necessarily have to believe or get really caught up in what what our brain's telling us or those those fearful feelings that we can both experience them know that they're normal but bring our attention mm. back into the present moment in all those different ways that that you've both just been addressing does that sort of make sense to you Karen um yeah it does it does so so what what are you sort of asking there? Are you you sort of talking about how how leading up to birth to help couples um, to be able to do that, like to sort of yeah yeah. So what how with that? That's right, exactly. So what sort of strategies do you use in calm birth? And does does what I'm saying through an act lens actually make sense to you from a calm birth perspective? Yeah, it absolutely does. And and look, one of the big things that we work on uh, with couples during calm birth is, is one, their conscious thinking about birth. So that's where we give, give the knowledge and we're feeding that, that left brain with the knowledge that they're really craving. But there's also a, a much deeper part of us, which is that subconscious um, part of us. And, and couples come to that space of birth with a lifetime of learning around birth, whether they realize it or not. And it's about also understanding that we have to reframe at those belief systems around birth, not just at that conscious level, but also at that subconscious level. And um, and one of the ways that, that we really get couples to, to work on that is through some deep relaxation activities because that helps to bypass that conscious mind and, and, and help to retrain their response to stress at, at that subconscious level as well and reframe those ideas now that they've got some new information where they're starting to feel confident um, at a conscious level as well. Um, and and I guess the other big thing that we often talk about is is that our, um, our body is our subconscious mind. It doesn't know what is real and what is not and it simply reacts to the information that's being fed to it. And so our imagination is incredibly powerful because the, the inner voice that is talking to us on the day and leading up to birth very much dictates the way that our subconscious mind and our body is setting ourselves up for birth. And the, during birth, the, the little voice that's in our head is also very much either going to be there um, assisting us to work with birth or at times assisting us to work against it. So it's also about being very mindful 
of what our imagination is thinking and 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 doing around um, around that birth space. So I always talk about you know we go towards what we think about. So really surrounding themselves in positivity, which is what Sarah mentioned earlier on about you know reading some some great books on birth that really feed that positivity and feed their confidence and and um, look reading blog stories that are, that have got, are really powerful stories and listening to other women's stories that resonate with them and that again instill confidence in them is a really powerful thing um, because we start to then lay down those more permanent tracks of, of positivity towards birth leading up to birth. Is, is that what you, you were sort of talking about, Pam, in, in what, how to... Yes, no, I'm, I'm certainly interested to, to hear what, what you're saying there about, about how calm birth, well, what calm birth actually is offering pregnant women or, or the, the couples, families that you're working with. Mm. I, I have a thought, but I might just turn to Sarah next and see if Sarah had um, reflections upon what I was saying, whether that sat comfortably with, with you, Sarah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, what I'm talking about really is a primitive brain and kind of instinctive reactions. And mm. particularly if you're going to go into a situation where, you know, your, your primitive brain is going to be challenged, you could say, by the, the unfamiliarity of the circumstances, then, then using the power of your brain to, to um, have a, you know, a more positive reaction is, is, sounds very like a very useful tool in that circumstance. Yeah, because Karen, one of the, the key principles really of, of ACT, of acceptance and commitment therapy, is that whilst we can certainly build up a habit of bringing our attention, certainly to the present moment, but lingering on valuing those things that are, are positive and life-giving and you know, savouring the good, if you like, and the positive, ACT would say that very often the human brain is going to have negative, fearful thoughts, anxious thoughts, very unhelpful thoughts, no matter how faithfully we're cultivating gratitude and attention towards the positive and attention in the present moment. And that that's actually a normal part of being human. And then by extension, if I'm sort of developing up our conversation here around birth, it would be a normal part for, for many women of what their mind does, you know, at times or even a lot of the time through the birthing process, and that mm. actually trying to fight those those negative thoughts really can bring us into a, a struggle with with our own anxiety. So then we feel really worried because we notice we're having lots of fearful and unhelpful thoughts. And whereas if we're able to support women in knowing that the brain may tell some of these very unhelpful stories through such a, a sort of time of powerful transition. And that's okay, that's what the brain does. Now let me bring my attention back into my breath, into the present moment, into the comforting touch of, of, of the person caring for me or, you know, rather than feeling that they've got to be thinking positive thoughts. Does that make sense? Oh, it does, absolutely. And we talk a lot about that in Cumberth. You know, every woman in their birth at numerous times is going to have crisis of confidence and those moments of oh my goodness why the hell am I here I don't want to do this and that's why we're so passionate about educating their partners as well so that they're able to hold space and recognizing when when the, the birthing partner is is getting to a point of 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 that crisis of confidence and being able to to be there to hold space to to bring them down out of that um, the other really big thing that Cumberth does is, is we don't just sort of talk about the fact that, you know, um, it's important to stay positive the whole way. It's about really talking about that, you know, it's actually okay to have these crises of confidence. And these are the things that you can do to move past them. You know, you can use your breathing, you can access your breathing, you can, um, you can access that relaxation response. The partners are there to calm you down, to give you reassuring words. You need to surround yourself again by that circle to ensure that that negativity, those crises of confidence are fleeting as opposed to um, able to, to sort of amp up and get to a point of, of no return. So every woman in, well, in fact, anyone that's going through a, a time of transformation and one that is particularly challenging is going to have those, those moments of, of crisis of confidence. But it's knowing 
that you can bring yourself back out of that and you can re-baseline and that it's okay to be there where you need to be, but that you're okay and that you're safe and you can do this. So it's, it's creating that confidence around it. Yeah, yeah. And from an ACT point of view, it, it would be not sort of trying to fight or even get rid of those negative thoughts, but it's about where I direct my attention once I notice that this is happening so that I don't really fuse with it, if you like, and and have that really yeah. g- control my behaviours and, and how I'm, I'm living through the experience. Yeah, look, thank you. Well, I wondered then whether I could just invite each of you, the, the two wise women that I've invited into the 2020 Baby Podcast today for this discussion, if I could just invite each of you to just have a little wrap-up reflection on what you would like to offer from your heart to the heart of that pregnant woman who may be listening into our conversation today. So shall I start with you, Karen? Yeah, okay. Um, I, look, I, my big thing is, is just to, to trust themselves and then surround themselves with people that they can also trust as well and put that faith into them. Um, we as women, as, as Sarah was talking about, have been very much evolved to do this. Our bodies are, are perfectly designed to give birth to, to babies and, and it's about doing what you need to do to ensure that you're feeling confident about that and are able to trust in that. We have such... A power within us. We have such a strength within us, and it's it's often in in birth that that's where we really discover it. And I really believe that the discovery of that power through birth is is what really holds us in in amazing stead to to transform into mothers. I think that's that's a, a really powerful thing. So being able to to move into that space with with knowledge and confidence and the tools that you need to and the the support and caregivers around you um, that you have faith and trust in is an incredibly essential ingredient into a positive birth. Mm, Beautiful. Well, I have to underline everything that you've said, Karen. Um, I totally agree with you. And, you know, through all the conversation we've had today, I think the thing to say to anyone out there who's pregnant is it really is worth investing in you know, your model mm. of care, your education, because the moment, the day that you give birth to your baby will be in your memory for the rest of your life. It's your, you know, it's the, the, your introduction to family. And, you know, we put a lot of investment and money into getting married, for example. But to be honest, the day you give birth to your baby is going to be a bigger impact on your life than your wedding. So really consider, you know, how can you invest in yourself in pregnancy? How can you be in your parasympathetic nervous system? How can you get, get the education, how can you get the support that you need? So all of these things are, you know, monumental in our um, in our journey of life. So many blessings to everyone listening. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks so much, Sarah, and thank you so much, Karen. Bye now. Well, thanks for listening. It's been great to have your company. And remember to check out the non-profit website, possumsonline.com for lots of free resources and programs and the publications that form the evidence base to neuroprotective developmental care or the possums programs as together we grow joy in early life i hope you tune in again soon bye for now